Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Ooh. Would you join me in the serenity prayer, please? The serenity prayer. God, grant me courage to change the things I can. You know, uh, uh, there's a moment in life where you you always wonder, a moment in the future, you you know it's going to come and you always wonder what it's going to feel like when you get there. And this is one of those for me. And I was thinking, um, uh, since February we've been at this, so how does it feel? And the overriding emotion is one of gratitude. I feel like I... And I wonder if... I know that um, this may be slightly tedious for some of you, but this is very important. So I'd like you to indulge me for five minutes, if you would. Because there's some people I would like to personally thank. I'd like to thank Phil M., my co-chair. Yes, and I'm leaving. Jan H. was my secretary. He organized Lee's tapes. He ran Roy K.'s recording. He took every job, every job that needed service. This man did it. There's a man who I haven't seen this morning called Yossi H., who spoke last night, who did the longest and hardest negotiation with this hotel I have ever seen. If you, if you are one of our orthodox colleagues, if you're one of our orthodox colleagues and you feel that you ate well at this convention, then Yossi gets all the credit. He was amazing. <laughs> you will have noticed that nearly 45 to 50 percent of the pre-registrations at this conference came through the internet, which is a record. We have one man on our team who we call the Badginator because he prints all the badges. He's also the man that designed the website, put it together, got us in touch with PayPal, made sure we could pay through it, and it's Larry A. And he's a brilliant technologist. I'm also fortunate to have a wonderful treasurer who's been out there counting. When I last saw him, he was on the telephone crisis counselling to somebody somewhere or other. Can I introduce you to the treasurer who's been quietly there? He said this morning, I've only been to one breakout meeting. Can I introduce Mike C, who's standing over here? (laughs) 
You met, you met Mike A and Sherry A on uh, Friday night, but what you probably don't know is Mike A designed the, pr the essay program, laid it all out, and got all the speakers involved for doing it. Everybody, Mike A. He was also supported. He was also supported by somebody who did all the design work, all the printing, got it all printed, went to Staples an infinite number of times, got all the signs made, and if you'll notice, everything's everything's branded. And that's that. And that's Elliot T. Where is he? And all the leaders, all the leaders, for which we thank you, all the leaders who spoke, uh, who uh, uh, organised the meetings and with the green cards and all that sort of stuff, and all the chairs and all the organising of the operation was done by Tony P. Where are you, Tony? Thank you. In 2003, I was uh, I handled registration of the Treasury, and I knew I could... I knew I couldn't be chairman and do it again. If ever you organize a convention and you take a job, you will know you could never do it again. It's just, it is one of the characteristics. You just do. It's, it's the thing about beating your head against a brick wall. You really don't want to do it. Stop. So I, in order to get registrations done, I went down to the meetings on the Jersey Shore and I asked them to put together a team of people that would handle registrations. And I want you to meet Ryan W. and John H., who since February have done it all. Here they are. We, we did the, all our own design work. All our own design work was done for us by one of our committee members. Last time I saw him, he was standing where I am, playing some playing the piano in the talent show last night. I don't know whether he's here, but that's Steve D. in his absence. Let's give him a round of applause. Now, I told her she'd got to come in here, because Phil, in Essanon program, has been supported by Joan. Where's Joan? This is Joan M. from Essanon, who's been on there. Just so you know, 103 recovery notes we've printed so far. If you haven't done one and you'd like to do one before you go, the cards are outside. So we've got 103 pages of recovery notes that we've typed up and printed, and thank you for the volunteers. But I just want to say, first of all, a big thank you to Sherry A., who built the wall and designed it. And, of course... I'm a, I'm a Pink Floyd fan, so I never thought I'd have the wall. <laughs> My mis, misspent youth. And the person who, uh, the, the person who organized the wall and the writings and the cards is Rich D. Where is he? The, the notes man. <laughs> then we had another team. Another team of people that provided literature for essay. That's Shawlev, Dan the Man. He's probably still out there cashing out. But Dan the Man and Jan H. Where are you? You're the literature guys. This is a hell of, This is a wonderful team. And if you had a sponsor, if you had a sponsor for the temporary sponsor for the conference, that was all thanks to Phil W., who unfortunately can't be with her. His mother is seriously ill in Florida, so yesterday he had to fly down to Florida. But let's hear it for Phil in his absence. And for Robert, 
And Robert M., I don't think he's here, who organised the Seven Traditions, the Seven Traditions team who counted the money. So, just so you know, just so you all know, last night you broke the record for SA, $4,405 you collected last night. Eric, take a bow, Eric. And if you're an Essen honour, you did $1,741. Not that we're biased, but we're giving uh, Essen on the Canadian coins. (laughs) And also let me just say a big thank you to uh, John B, who organized the talent show, and to Ted B, who compared it, wherever Ted is. He was outside a minute ago. And I haven't seen him this morning, but there was a man who you probably noticed yesterday and Friday walking around who looked like a waiter in his tuxedo. He was the greeter. He did all the mailings. He organized, every, organized us for every committee meeting. He made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phone calls. He's learned how to use email as a result of this. He sent hundreds and hundreds of emails. And that's my hero, the amazing Leon M. Where is he? He's not here. I don't know where he is. Where is he? I don't know. He was here with his wife. And also to Dennis C., who got us the carnations, which we were all uh, wearing. We've still got one. And also, one more time, I'd just like you all to thank the great speakers we've had at this convention and the ballroom. Weren't they great? Weren't they just amazing? Good. Now, I have one announcement to let you know that if you were in Maryland in May, in Ju- July, at the current... No, hang on. I'm sorry. We need to, to, to give one more vote of thanks here. There has been one person who has been the, the heart and soul of this entire program uh, who has not been properly acknowledged for his role. It is our chairman, uh, Stephen P. And this guy... I'm sorry, I gotta take one minute, one minute to tell a quick story. I'm sorry, no, no, no. no. I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta tell this really quick story. This past Thursday, at Staples, I had these four huge boxes of printed materials that needed to make it here. I put up this big SOS, big email that said, hey! And this guy came in from New Jersey into Manhattan, picked up the boxes, managed to get them here on time, and that's why each and every one of you has the program schedules, has the, the, the guides. This guy has managed to be where he was needed, when he was needed, in every step of the, of the making of this program. He really deserves our credit. And I just want one more round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. Really, sit down. Sit down. Please. I hate this. I hate this. Thank you. We have a prayer. We have a, 
a prayer for the convention that we will do God's amazing healing power in our convention. And we say it every time we've met. To God be the glory, not to us. I thank you, though. And thank you, Elliot. Um, one announcement. If you were here in July at the conference in, uh, wherever it was, Virginia, uh, Maryland, there was a questionnaire on lust. We have the results of that questionnaire, and they're on that little table. As you go through that door behind Tom, there's a little table to the right as you leave. If you'd like to get the results of that, there's a results and a little document printing it out. So without more ado, I want to... A man who needs no introduction, who's going to run this session, everybody, let me introduce you. The man who started has started more SA meetings than anybody in living memory. Let me introduce you to Tom A. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Tom. I'm a recovering sexaholic. And I have to say, this was a a very difficult convention for myself. I was told once if your convention doesn't bring any pain, then it's not a good convention for you. There's something wrong. And this one brought on pain. It was very difficult for me to step back and not get involved and deal with feelings, jealousy, envy, low self-esteem, poor self-image, feeling stupid, not as good as, pushed to the side, not wanted, not needed. I went through a roller coaster of, of thoughts and feelings this past two days, and it was all good. I'm changing. I'm learning to sit back and enjoy the fellowship and not be the main man. And that was a big, big change for me. And I can sit back now and deal with these feelings with my sponsor and with my support and continue to grow and change and just be another person in the program. As Steve just mentioned, just, you know, give all the glory to God, not me. And so... I just want to say that uh, I'm very proud of these people. With that said, I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud to be part of them. And um, I knew there was something special in this group as they came in because none of them were here when I was here. But I remember when we did our last convention, I looked at them and I said, you know, these guys are real hustlers. And it was a different group of people except for about three of them. And they, they rose to the occasion. They didn't get this notice for, gosh, 11 months prior to the convention, and they did everything that needed to be done right up until today, within 11 months, which is um, a miracle. That's a miracle. They should have had a couple of years to get prepared for this, but they did it in 11 months. So you could imagine the energy and the strength, the desire and the willingness to serve all came and rose to the occasion. And anybody can do that. Any area of the country could do that. So we're hoping that more people put in bids and we continue to have our conventions every six months and not once a year. 
So what we're going to do now is I'm going to sit here with other members who have 10 years or more sobriety. Is there anyone out there that has 10 years or more? Could you please come up here, please, and sit up here on the panel? And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to ask any one of them a question, how they have worked their program this 10 years, how they've gotten 10 years of sobriety. And uh, just point to who you want to ask the question to. And then if anybody just wants to come up here in one minute or less and say something about the convention, some gratitude or something that they want to mention about the convention, feel free to do so. Okay, one minute or less. All righty. Okay, everyone here has 10 years or more sobriety, so if there's anything that you could think of, please stand, raise your voice so that everyone can hear you. Thanks. Could you please stand up again and raise your voice and Okay, what is the cause of perennial slipping and what is the best way to prevent perennial slipping? Would someone like to answer that? Yes. I'm Al, a recovering sexaholic. Hi, Al. And reluctant to be here. I just mic right now. Um, speaking out of my own experience, saying something I really don't want to say and hear, but my own um, conviction is that perennial slipping or not is a direct correlate of proximity to the higher power, my own proximity, which means for me um, making myself connectable, which means daily meditation, and that's what I really don't want to do, what many of us don't, but looking back on my 16 years of uh, sobriety and before, um, that's the cutting edge. Either I do the action of disposing myself by sitting and being quiet and asking the higher power to do with me what I can for as long as that is, that's the difference. And then praying through the day. And then, of course, the steps. But that's central. Thank you. Yes, Ted.
participate in the weekend like this with this many people and this kind of response to SF. The things that you feel, what do people have left to feel us? I'd like to know what it feels like. All right, the question was what it was like in their past leading up to the convention. Why don't you try and shorten it, Ted, a little bit? <laughs> what was it like to be in SA back when you started as opposed to coming to this kind of conference where this many people have participated in this kind of event? The evolution of us. <laughs> I'm Sylvia, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, when I started... There were just a few of us in my town. There were a lot of women at that time because we had uh, uh, Jeff Slayer in our group, and everybody was a groupie for him, so we had lots of women. <laughs> and as soon as Jess left, they disappeared too. So I stuck it out, and I had one man that stuck it out with me. Uh, I came to my first... We don't call this a convention, or uh, it was more like a conference, but the first meeting that I went to was in Simi Valley, and it was, um, I can't remember, 18, 17, 18 people, something like that. Uh, about three of them were s and and the rest of them were S.A. And um, we proceeded to try to take over the fellowship. <laughs> Roy was in terror. We elected president, vice president, uh, treasurer, and secretary, and I mean all of it, you know, and we were going to take over the fellowship. And, um, of course, the one that had the highest sobriety at that time was uh, Jess next to Roy, and he had about seven months. (laughs) So... Uh, that's why when some of you come in and at seven months and you start telling us how to do it, I can relate. <laughs> now, at the end of that, Jess come up with the idea and he says, why don't we meet every six months instead of uh, like this and have strictly fellowship? Just meet for fellowship. So the next year, we or six months later, we did that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm, I probably am because I find that I'm mistaken frequently lately, <laughs> but I think we went to Warm Beach, Washington on the first one. And uh, it was in a church campground and had dormitories and that kind of stuff. And I think the second one was um, in, uh, uh, it was either Phoenix or Salt Lake City, but I think it was Salt Lake City. And um, we went there, and then somewhere in there we went to Phoenix, and somewhere in there we went to Oklahoma City, and those I'm not sure about the order of, because I walked around in a daze for Many years of sobriety, actually, probably still now. <laughs> but um, they were they were interesting days. Uh, Roy was frightened of us because we had been so pushy, <laughs> and um, 
we start having these groups, and I think they started, the first ones had about 20 or something like that, 30, I don't know. We, they were small groups, and it's just grown to this, 600. What What is the tally? 570. 570 people, 570 people here. And that's remarkable and a miracle to have every one of you here like that. And I am, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm still here to see you and um, have you help me stay sober today. Thank you. I don't think you want what I have. <laughs> I'm mentally ill. You want that? <laughs> well, I'm pretty much with him, but <laughs> what I did in the beginning to get sober and stay sober was uh, when I found SA, I had already been through treatment for codependency a couple of times, so I had a lot of background in other programs. And... Um, so I, I got sober when I first started in SA. And then at six months, I went to Simi Valley. But what I did was that I went to a meeting every day for about four or five years. I don't know. I don't even remember. But when I cut back, I like cut back one meeting. And I felt like I was running around naked or something because I missed a meeting. And then I, find I cut back to another meeting. I mean, you know, gradually cut back on my meetings. But I went to... I was in another fellowship, so I went to uh, about five of them a week. So I was going to about two meetings a day most of that time, calling a sponsor and going to meetings. And um, it worked. I'm sober. And it's, it, uh, it's 24 years and almost, almost 25, 25 in May. So... They're as sick as we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm Dave. I'm a sexaholic. And I see lots of sexaholics in the problem. I don't see many in recovery. We are so lucky to have the tradition here, to have um, meetings available, 
to have literature available. You know, when you're in a country and you have no literature available in your language, you have no meetings available, you have to use internet or the telephone. There are people who don't have the telephone or the internet, or if they do, they have to wait until the electricity is on and the telephone is working and the computer is working. So we are so lucky to have that. And you're supporting central office, supporting the literature committee that's coming up with new languages, that's coming up with translations in other languages, that's coming up with online meetings, with coming up with telephone meetings. Those things cost money. And if we want to reach out to the rest of the world, we need to put up some money to get the literature out there for them, to get the, the things available, to have people traveling and uh, going to spread the message. Thank you. Hi, I'm Elliot. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. I am dealing with an issue with a sponsee that I am looking for some help with. I have a sponsee who is dealing with an end-of-life issue. That is, he is dealing with a disease that will probably take his life sometime within the next 20 months. How does a, a sponsor or anybody in the fellowship deal with these issues with a sponsee or with somebody in the, in the program and relate to them on this issue that I personally have no reference point for. Would someone like to answer that? One. I'm sorry. Charlie? Hi, buddy. My name is Charlie, and I am both a sex art and a member of Essendon, and I'm very grateful. When I was in my early days, I only went to SA, not Essendon. My favorite expression was, the fellowship tells me, take the action, the feelings will follow. For me, I'm taking the action, the feelings ain't falling. There's something still wrong. Now, I don't know why or how or what happened, but when I started going to Essendon, my essay program got a lot easier for me. I was less frustrated than I used to be. I wasn't acting out. I was sober, but I wasn't at peace. There was other stuff I couldn't deal with, and I, Essendon taught me that it's okay to take care of yourself. I used to think selfish and self-caring meant the same thing. They don't. They're very different. But I needed SNR to help me and show me that way. So I'm, I've been sponsoring people for a long time. But the truth is, I used to be a lousy sponsor because I was a lousy sponsee because I only looked at my sexual behavior. I didn't look at the other stuff that drive me nuts. I think I'm better sponsored today because I my eyes open a little wider than they used to. Thank you.
Someone back there in the corner. That guy way in the back there. What's his name? It starts with... Uh, what's that guy's name back there? Yeah, him. Is that him? Leon. <laughs> Leon, do you have a question? You're one of us, Leon. You're definitely one of us. <laughs> Another question? Come on, folks. Yes? Yeah, I have a question about uh, acceptance. Uh, I think, you know, lust for us in essay. I'm, I'm Dale, I'm sorry, I'm such a hawk. Lust is kind of the huge thing in front of us, uh, you know, that we're dealing with. But I think acceptance is, for me, really hard, accepting the things I cannot change. And we say that prayer a lot, you know, we say the serenity prayer, and I'm just curious how you people, men and women, have come to a place where you can accept the things that you cannot change. Thank you. So the question is, how do we accept things we cannot change? Would someone like to answer that? Yes. I'm Nicholas, and I'm a sexaholic from England. My sobriety date is the 10th of April, 1995. It's so lovely to be here. And um, it's a kind of the just do it tool. Uh, I started by having to accept that I had a progressive fatal disease called sexualism, that I was never going to be cured, and that I was going to have to stay away from lust triggers for the rest of my life. After that, acceptance of stuff got easy. Because uh, that was really what I wanted to do, you see. My whole life was built for lust. The way I dressed, the friends I had, the car I drove, the job I did, everything was built to enable lust. And once I had to accept that I wasn't going to be that kind of a person anymore, then acceptance became part of my way of life. So I guess that's it. Thanks. from the last couple of weeks that has just filled me and really made me feel the happy, joyous, and free that's in the promises. But the question I have is that over this last year, it hasn't always been that way. I've had periods this last year, and Mark here who goes to meetings with me knows about them. I've had periods when I've gotten really down and really depressed and, and not felt good, not had that happy, joyous, and free. Those of you who might the question is, what do you do when you're feeling depressed and you're going through tough times? How do you drag yourself to a meeting and work the program? Roger. Hello, I'm Roger, sexaholic. Uh, well, I think a lot of the principles is I think about making deposits in my recovery account. And so it's like, you know, staying close to, you know, my higher power, praying every day, taking these actions and, and continue to make deposits, which means making meetings and, and phone calls. Now, that doesn't mean things go smoothly, but it's kind of the continued challenge to just take the next right action. So whatever that is, you know, picking the phone up, 
calling. And it's probably, you know, I, I think the blessing of this program for me is, is the fellowship and the connectedness with other people. I mean, I just feel so grateful that um, any day of the week, if I'm feeling down, depressed, upset, angry, resentful, that I can reach out to people. And, you know, God blesses me by having people reach out to me. And, you know, by being by doing sponsorship, I continue to learn and to, to give, and I get more back. And, and I think for me, when I get down or discouraged or depressed, you know, again, by picking the phone up and talking to somebody, they will give me back what I need, which is basically, you know, get out of myself, do something for somebody else, you know, take an action, you know, the feelings will follow. And, uh, you know, the patience and, and the acceptance that sometimes we just go through those periods. Uh, so, you know, I like the saying, like, you know, we, we have to work this program like everything depends on us, and we have to pray like everything depends on God. So, thanks. The question is, how many of us have a background in Essanon and Al-Anon? Thank you. Somebody that hasn't shared? No? Anyone? I have been in al My name is Glenn. I am a sexaholic from St. Louis. I have a background in, in Al-Anon. I've got, uh, as far as just going to meetings, uh, the slogans, one day at a time, the uh, pro, uh, courage to change, the different books that they have, has has helped me to, I guess, to transfer uh, the, the Al-Anon stuff to my uh, essay friends. Because in... in um, St. Louis, uh, most of the essays, essanons, or, or the spouses of the people who I go to meetings with. So I cannot go to the essanon meetings because uh, I don't want to hear their stuff and you know go back to the go back to the meetings and know that this fellow is doing this and this fellow is doing that. So uh, reading the essanon, the uh, Al-Anon literature by myself. And uh, has helped me just to uh, detach uh, using the slogans, let go and let God live and let live, um, has helped me. I uh, was really involved in Alan and I did a, uh, had a sponsor one time, I had a, you know, but I don't go anymore. And so uh, ho- hopefully the men in in St. Louis will get an Essanon group going so that we can actually do something because uh, I have a great respect for the Al-Anon program, and I'll say this and I'll be quiet. I think Al-Anon is one of the most spiritual programs on the planet. I don't think that they get get the press that they need to get because it's dealing with, like, ordinary people, uh, but, you know, they're not dressed up outside chanting and stuff like that, but it's a program that'll get you, take you wherever you want to go spiritually. Thanks. Hi, Bernadette.
So if somebody starts to talk to me, I don't want to stop and say, hold it. How long have you been sober? You know, I, I'd like to know whether I can trust their opinions when, and, and I don't know whether they are really in recovery or not. Do you have a radar for how sober somebody is without asking them, and what are those indicators? All right, so the question is, do we have a radar? (laughs) Do we have a radar in terms of whether we're going to listen to the person that's sharing with us, if they're new, if they have six years, if they have three months, whatever? Is there something that we go by which is going to determine on what we're going to do? Someone like to answer that? I'm Tom. I'm a sexaholic. Yeah, I, um, there is a radar. It, it does take years to learn it. I think what it amounts to, by and large, does someone appear if they're sober? And now I'm just talking about being both sober and being in recovery. Do they appear to be comfortable with themselves? Do they seem like they, they're, they're, they're assured and things of that sort? Whereas my experience has been, you know, the old dry drunk syndrome. If someone is physically sober but not, not well, they're miserable to be around. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I don't know the, the best way to describe it other than do they seem to have a, a true serenity about them? Um, and the other thing I think is how quick are they to answer the question? And I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but my, my take, my thinking is for those of us who have been around a while is someone with a lot of recovery doesn't immediately answer the question. It's kind of a, okay, let's see what happens because we are comfortable with whether we can we need to provide advice or not and we don't feel like we have to provide the advice so i hope that helps thanks so much. hi brett Okay, I have to apologize. I have a short memory. Very short. That was a little long for me, Brett. Yeah, please. Fear of letting go of lust in your marriage and fear of letting go of being intimate. Okay? All right, I'm not married. I have four cats, so I can't help you with that. I could tell you how I get intimate with them. But anybody? Roger, sexaholic. Hi. Well, you know, for me, because lust intrudes all the time, and certainly in terms of my marriage, it's always there on some level. So I assume that when I wake up in the morning, I mean, I wake up in the morning, I start praying, and I accept that lust will be there today in some way. And so 
to, to try to be intimate is to be in the moment. And so, again, I, for me, I have to turn to my higher power and ask for help to do that, just like I asked God to help me, you know, letting go of lust. And so that allows me some stability, you know, to, you know, it's like surrendering the fear. And, uh, you know, the other thing I just, it's one day at a time for me, every day. It's just, I get up and I just today, it's trying to do the right thing today and whatever those moments are. And so if it's in the, the relationship and relating to my wife, who I feel is a great ally in my recovery, uh, you know, and part of that intimacy is, is sharing what's going on inside me. You know, whether, you know, and, you know, sometimes she doesn't particularly want to know, but it's important for me to share that. And so to me, that's intimacy, you know. And so anyway, thanks. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, I've come to understand today at this conference that every SA qualifies for SNI. I go to the attic all the time. <laughs> One more time. Someone like to answer that, <laughs> Sylvia. Yes. addicted to sex and lust is my isolation um, and my feeling of not being able to connect with people. And um, SA has really given me an opportunity to connect with people to learn that I can. Um, So my question is, besides phone calls and sponsor and meetings and meetings and meetings and and conventions, um, what do you put in your lives to create more of opportunities and like I, I look for more opportunities to socialize and, and to um, and to connect and I realize I have to deliberately do that so if, if anyone can talk about what would you deliberately do to connect to people beyond what I mentioned okay the question is if you're an isolator what do you deliberately do to connect with others to improve your social life My name is Glenn. I am a sexaholic. That's a good question because um, one of the things that I do, I, um, I'm, in, I'm into coffee. I'm into making espresso coffee drinks, and I got a machine at home. Uh, I can, my machine can do anything the big boys can do. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I invite, uh, at the meetings, I say I'm going to have a coffee social, and I say the time. And I, and I really want newcomers to come. 
And uh, but and, and and we come and we we. But the thing is not the call. The thing is getting people there and talking about recovery issues away from the meeting so that we can talk about uh, whatever. And so that's one of the things I do. That That's the thing of mine. I'm into coffee, so I use that. And you may be into something else, but you can use that and then draw other people in and do a, have a fellowship like that. Thanks. Hi, Ben. question is, how do you continue to stay in the program? How do you continue to go to meetings and, and get something out of the meetings and work through those uncomfortable feelings of being bored, angry, disgusted, and whatever? Actually, I'd like to answer that question if you don't mind. Is that okay? Well, when I first came to SA, I, had, I, had a, I was very intimidated, first of all, by the program because I was a uh, fallen down drunk for years. I was homeless for about six years, and I quit high school, and um, I was very intimidated. I noticed that, and I'll even take a, I'll ask this question right now. How many of you, by show of hands, have a degree? All right. When I came into the program, I was, I was afraid. I said, holy mackerel, these people are too smart. I was in AA for 12 years before I came here, and I said, uh, I've never seen anything like this. These people are very peculiar. Everybody had a very gifted way of sharing, very intelligent. And I was, you know, I was going to meetings in Newark and Elizabeth, and these were, these were, these were tough meetings, folks. Very tough. Every other word was bleep. And it was not easy to deal with that. And when I came here and I, I seen these guys coming in with jackets on and ties and some of the guys were sitting up straight and dressy looking and, you know, they, they sounded very intelligent. And I, I didn't want to go to the meetings. And I said, I don't want to be part of this. You know, I feel stupid, unattractive, not worth anything. And I, I couldn't speak well. Not that I could speak well now. I still have to work very hard on my vocabulary and it's not easy because I lived... I lived with drug addicts and drunks for 30 years, and um, I've had to come a long way to just be able to get up here and speak. And so I picked the meetings apart. I sat in there, and I just isolated in the meetings. But my sponsor told me a very important lesson. He said, first of all, look at all those people in that room with that degree. I said, yeah. He says, they're just as wacky as you are. <laughs> and I felt good about that. I, I felt really good about that. And about a month later, I called him up and I said, you know, and this is a true story. I called him about a month later. I said, Dave, I'm struggling. 
And I've talked to him about this many times because it's still an issue. It's an ongoing issue with me, and it's a very, very slow process in healing. I said, you know, I'm a control freak. I want to control these groups. I started these meetings, and I want to take charge. I want to be in charge of everything. And he says, just think, you're in there with all those nuts, and you want to be the head nut. He has a way of he has a way of getting into my soul. He really does. I felt good about that, you know. But uh, I just kept coming. Dragged my butt to a meeting, even when I was feeling uncomfortable, even when I didn't want to be there and I didn't want to spend time with these guys. And I started going to diners, and uh, I don't like diners. I don't like their food. I'm on a, on a health program. I don't like the atmosphere and. But I had to go against those, those thoughts and, and just keep doing it. It's called discipline. And every time that I did that, every time I went to the meetings and every time that I went to the diner and every time that I spent time with addicts before and after the meetings, it was like weightlifting, except instead of developing the muscles, I was developing discipline. And the discipline is what's helping me get through all of those feelings and those emotions and those, those, those ways that I view myself. Because every time I got with these people, I was getting out of myself. And on top of it, God knew what was going on. God would, would have that person speak to me, would say something like, you know, you mean a lot to me. You've helped me. Yeah, you're special, things like that. And my sponsor, he's good for that too. And that's helped me with the self-esteem. But uh, after a while... I started to really enjoy the meetings and enjoy the fellowshipping and enjoy the opportunity to go out with these people for hours. So now I can go out with people and I can sit and talk with them. I remember before I came to SA, I didn't know how to hold a conversation. I would talk about the Giants, the Yankees, sex, drugs, rock music, as Stephen mentioned. Those are my conversations. I didn't know how to sit down and talk to anybody intelligently. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to listen. You know, I used to. When somebody would say something to me, I would do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Would say. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today, I try to get myself to the back, where I can put myself, where I don't have distractions, and I stare at them, and I listen. That's a big change for me. I've learned to listen to others' insights and, and others' problems. If someone calls me, I make sure there's no radio on or TV on or anything like that, and I spend the time with them. Most importantly, and I'll end with this, my sponsor is a very, very important person in my life. I use my sponsor almost daily. It is extremely important that I tell my sponsor what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, and that's not easy. Like like I shared in the beginning about how I felt about this convention and the committee. Boy, you think that was easy? With my pride and ego, call him up and say, you know what? I hope those guys go back out. He said, really? You feel that way? I said, yeah. And there's one guy that I'm sponsoring, and he's doing good, and I'm jealous. (laughs) These are not easy things to talk about. They're they're, they're difficult, you know, because I 
my sponsor's a great guy. He sits there and he says, you know, isn't it great that those guys are doing a good job, that they have special gifts and special talents? And I'm sitting there saying, I, yeah, 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 it's great. <laughs> Hope he gets run over by a truck. <laughs> Not easy to deal with that. However, I'm dealing with it. I'm not hiding it. I'm bringing it out, and little by little, I'm changing. Thanks. Ten more minutes. Hey, Dave. Great for recovering sexaholic. Glad to be here. You know, I didn't hear about. AA's big book until I came to convention in uh, St. Louis. Hmm. You know, and I read the white book a couple times. And our meeting in Jacksonville had not had an AA big book meeting from the time I've been coming, which was 1998. Can you tell us, I mean, I know the literature committee is doing a great job, phenomenal job putting out literature right now. Is there any design on, can you tell us a direction that, that we might take to open up that spiritual connection that comes from the big book, or at least emphasize it out? In your experience, has that been part of, I mean, was that sort of beginning sort of rote? I mean, that's where you came from. And so you expect that that's, way it's getting out there, but I'm telling you there's a whole group of people, at least in my experience, that have not made the forge the connection of recovery, and that's why I'm hoping that Akron might be a chance to really do that. So I'm just sort of throwing that out there to the group. Make it, make it a short yeah. question. <laughs> Is there a way we can promote the big book as the kind of the founding sense of SA and integrated in meetings which don't have a large attendance. All right, I lost him after about the fifth word. Now, don't take that personal. It's just me. So I'm not going to repeat it. I can't repeat that. Sylvia has an answer. Sure. Would you mind repeating it for the tape, please, Sylvia, if you can, if you can remember to that question. Thanks. I think what he wants to know is um, how do how how come and how do we uh, add the big book to the SA meetings and and education of our fellowship? Is that right? Okay. Um, there are groups in my part of the country that have S, have uh, big book studies. They'll have a meeting that's a big book study, and they study the big book all the time. Uh, our book, we are, we have come out with step books out there, which is going to be like the 12 and 12. And so we have the, uh, it's got member stories in it and stuff. And then we also have the new book that's a member story book out there. So those are two of the areas that are, very, you know, the big book is made up of working the steps, people's stories, and, um, um, <laughs> Talk to somebody else, okay? Uh, but there, it's you know, and that's what our step book and our, I guess, discovering principles. Those books are like the big book combined, essentially. I would think. 
But I want to say one more thing I forgot to say a minute ago when I was talking about how to get recovery. I came at six months sobriety to a convention or uh, conference. I came at 12 months of sobriety. I come every year at every convention. And to me, this is the core of my sobriety coming to this. This is the core. This is what helped me get sober because I didn't have enough members locally. So my membership fellowship moved out here. And I suggest that all of you do that. Yeah. He's had his hand up a long time, the guy in the gray shirt. Yeah. Okay, we'll get you next. Go ahead. I didn't see you. We'll get you next. Go ahead. I'm a newcomer. Um, I walked into my first... My name is Doug. I'm a newcomer. I walked into my first SA meeting on Monday in New York City. So the question is, is what did SA do to open up the fellowship to gay people, people with same-sex issues? What can they do to open it up? I'd like to answer that, Tom. Okay. Would you mind? Sure, Hanson. I hate to keep talking, but we've done That is a subject that has been hot debate in our fellowship for years and years and years. We finally sealed it with uh, the statement that we have in our book. But I want to tell you that I was in on, on the change of that, and the reason it was sealed that way is because the gay people in our fellowship 
did not want to go to meetings where other people were acting out. And they wanted a meeting that was closed to that uh, behavior. So this this uh, definition, this fellowship was founded on that because there's SAA, there's SLAA, there's SRA, there's SCA. I don't know how many more. But all of them allow you to determine your sobriety, except I think one of the SCA or SRA, where you have to have, uh, where you can, uh, you have our sobriety, except that your relationship can be with another person, same sex. And so the people who want that kind of sobriety have fellowships they can go to, but people who have the kind of sobriety we have, if you want our kind of sobriety, there's no place for you to go where you won't be, where you won't be tempted. And this is the only place that's safe for you to come if you don't want to be tempted. And that's the reason that it's kept this way. And you're welcome at our meetings. We have a lot of gay people who come and they're welcome at our meetings. It's okay. I'm glad to have you here, but the reason is that there were a lot of them who sent me letters and told me that. Keep it the way it is because I'm not, and, and actually Roy talks about that. He went to those kind of meetings before he ever started this fellowship and they wouldn't help him because he didn't want that sobriety. So he started this one for that very reason. Okay? Also, in New Jersey, we do have one open meeting in Elizabeth on Saturdays at 12 noon, so anyone is welcome to come to that meeting. So if there's visitors and they're not participating in SA, but they want to get to an S meeting, they can come to the open meetings. So hopefully the other states will catch on and they'll open up more open meetings. Uh, Somebody that hasn't shared. In the back there? Joe? That's your name, Joseph? No? Steve, I think. I think so. I'm Steve First, I want to make a comment back. Um, and that is, uh, I'm, I am a college graduate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've proven I'm one of the smartest people in the world because I'm in this fellowship. <laughs> that while I may be um, smart, I don't have wisdom, or I lack wisdom. And um, there are people like you, Tom, who have shared wisdom with me at these meetings that I am eternally grateful for. So uh, I just wanted to share that first. Um, the second thing is, the question I have is, I was talking to a member of my home group, and I have a level of frustration, I don't speak to my group, that. Um, we have a format that we follow uh, where we have um, um, step meetings, topic meetings, and members' meetings. My question is, and it is, how do you run an effective step meeting? Thank you, Steve. The question is, how do you run an effective step meeting? That was easy. God is good. Someone like to answer that? And we still have about four minutes. We have about four minutes left. 
Okay, I'm Nicholas Sexaholic. Um, uh, my AA home group is a step meeting, and uh, so I guess the answer is we use the best um, the best experience from that fellowship, and uh, uh, we do focus on the steps in our um, SA meeting uh, locally, and um, uh, the Step into Action book is excellent. Uh, reading that and focusing on that is a big help. Thank you. Okay, one more question. This is the final question. Hi, my name is Akiva. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Akiva. Uh, I'm a newcomer in the program. And I've been in the program for three months, something like that. And that's my first conference. And I'm coming out with a big question mark, which is good. And what I'm, what I'm asking is what would you tell a newcomer after his first conference or first like open like crowded meeting and what are the questions that's that's the basic question what are the questions that the newcomer should face and shouldn't be shouldn't get should get himself comfortable facing what are the questions so the questions the question is what are the questions that a newcomer should face after their first convention Okay, so in any situation, just as long as they are a newcomer, what are the questions that they should face? That they shouldn't avoid. That they shouldn't avoid. Okay, thank you. Tom? Dave, I'm sorry. I'm Dave. I'm a sexaholic. I think right now you already know everything that I know about SA. Don't act out. Come to meetings. Get a sponsor make phone calls, and go to the after-meetings or before-meeting fellowship. Uh, you know, I was waiting to get this great wisdom and learn everything, and what I found out is at the first meeting, I found everything I needed to know. There is no secret to SA. Go to meetings, get a sponsor, get a telephone, <laughs> and go to fellowship and don't act out. Oh! Work your steps. <laughs> We're getting ready to close, folks. Before we close, I want to mention something that happened to me early on in my AA days back in 84. I remember I just, I came this close to dying just before I came to AA, very close. I was, I was drinking, I was drugging, I was acting out with lust. And I'll never forget something that this fella told me. This, I, I guess I was in the program about a week. He said, look, when you come to those meetings, and this is a compliment, by the way, to you. He says, when you come to those meetings, you make sure that you get there early. Now, I don't think that applies to some of you. You probably come walking in later on after we started, but I want you to catch this. He said, and I've been doing this for 23 years, he says, you try to be the last one to leave that meeting. And I got into the habit of waiting until everyone was gone. Out of the parking lot, 
gone. And I'd go in there and look around and flick the lights. And I was the last one out. And it kept me sober. And you, I compliment, because you're here to the very end, right to the last minute. And that, that is a, that will keep you sober. It's kept me sober all these years, that attitude. Coming early and staying late. And with that, I thank you all for being here. I thank you, Steve, for giving me the privilege to do this. And we're going to get in a big circle. And if, if you don't mind, when we get in this circle, and if you don't feel comfortable with this, you don't have to. When you get into the circle, I'd like to see everyone put their arms on each other instead of their hands, you know, like this. All right. You're stuck up here, dude. We'll do what we can. Spread it out. Spread it out. Spread it out so everybody can get in the circle. Put your arms around each other. <laughs> Let's take a moment of silence right now for, for you. And for all of those out there right now who are acting out, they're not aware of the program. And those that are aware of the program, and maybe some of your friends, some of the members or past members of your groups that aren't there, and I would like you to pay particular attention to those who have died from this disease. We've had about five in this area that have died in the past five years, and I knew two of them personally. And if you were into pornography, if you look on the Internet, all you have to do is click on to deadpornostars.com. And I have a list of over 50 porno stars who were dead. And they had one thing in common. It wasn't natural. And they're under 50 years of age. Let's think of them as well. We'll close with the third step prayer. God, God I, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to you that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Keep coming back, and it works if you work it.
Have a safe trip, folks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.